Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever and whenever you happen to be listening to us in the great wide world, brought together by the internet. Last three guys to do a podcast are here for the NCAA Final Four National Championship Edition. Daniel Bolton is cruising away his difficulties. He's somewhere on the open water, so he will not be with us this week. We wish Daniel all the best. Have a safe trip. Instead, uh, our old friend J.J. Jurjevic is uh, from uh, Atlanta Prime Sports is joining us here, sitting in for him. And we appreciate J.J. We'll talk to him in a moment. Uh, again, the big thing this weekend, of course, is the national championship for men's and women's basketball. Women's basketball just finished as about a half hour or so ago. And congratulations to Kim Mulkey and the LSU Tigers. A 102-87. No, wait a minute. I think it was 83. Well, anyway. They had 102 points in their victory over Iowa, kind of sealing the story on Caitlin Clark, who still played pretty well. It's really funny with Caitlin Clark. You really have to – you consider it a victory if you keep her under 40 points. And she still had an incredible day. She hit seven three-pointers, which is the most ever for a women's basketball player in the final game. But it wasn't enough, and we'll get into this in a little bit as LSU defeats Iowa, the first women's championship title for the Fighting Tigers, fourth overall for Kim Mulkey, and it was a pretty good game. And, of course, the men's are tomorrow night. It's going to feature the UConn Huskies against San Diego State. The Aztecs are going for their, of course, first national championship. And, again, it will be a boom for all the number nine seeds everywhere if they can succeed. And UConn, the last top four seeds standing as they are trying to uh, hold on for all the blue bloods out there that are represented. Okay, so LSU and Iowa. Um, it was a really good national championship, JJ, especially with LSU, with, I'm sorry, with Iowa, the Caitlin Clark story, and what she did to South Carolina, giving the Gamecocks their first loss in almost two years and preventing them from back-to-back national championships. I mean, we thought, I thought personally that the Gamecocks were going to roll in this tournament. But again, Iowa just knocked them out, knocked them down. And suddenly, everyone, the name that is on everyone's lips is Caitlin Clark. Yeah, it was fun to watch. It actually, in some instances, outdrew some NBA games. So people were tuned in to Caitlin Clark's story, and well, she was the first female player or men's player ever to score 40 points in consecutive games in the NCAA tournament. So hats off to Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeye, women Iowa Hawkeyes, I should say, for capturing the hearts of America. Uh, hats off to Lisa Bladura, the, the great coaching job. She did on her way to the Final Four and to the National Championship, losing, as you mentioned just moments ago, really, uh, by 18 points to the LSU Tigers. And, uh, boy, what, what, a, what a great tournament it's been. That's just the second or second or third three seed to ever win it in the women's, which ties the lowest seed to ever win that tournament. So it's uh, a testament to how good the tournament, both tournaments really are for a uh, teaser into the next segment. But, man. Just hats off. Caitlin Clark captured the hearts, the eyes, and boosted viewing of women's sports over the weekend 
by quite a bit. Uh, people, like I said, they were out drawing some NBA games, some Major League Baseball games, and it's partially, in part, basically because of Caitlin Clark's uh, 40-point triple-double followed up by a Final Four uh, 40-point game against the South Carolina Gamecocks, which brought everybody together. So, wow, what a performance. Overall, great tournament, fun to watch for the women and men. All right, Leon, uh, what were your thoughts about watching? Uh, first of all, did you watch any of the women's Final Four? Did you watch any of the uh, national championship game? And um, what do you think about how this story might impact the sport going forward? Well, as far as, as, the, as the women's championship is concerned, when looking – I, I, caught, I caught a nice bit of the highlights. I, I went off and, you know, to be honest with you, um, I went off and kind of did a part of the recap. Um, I was very much in tune with the Kevin Clark story. My, my my only concern about Iowa was if you know when when utilizing such a dynamic player like Kevin Clark and going into the championship against a well bounced talent like LSU, how would it pan out for him? And from what I've seen, LSU about six players in those figures. 30 points off the bench. It seems that Iowa's Kevin Clark are bust. And that was enough to get them to the championship. But when relying so heavily on one player against a championship contender and later on national championship by LSU, it kind of, it, it kind of, you know, she kind of ran out of gas a little bit. Yeah. You know, even though she did have like 30 points, you know, that, that was a good, it was definitely a good turnaround. But, for the LSU Tigers, them having six players in double figures and three players scoring 20 points or more proved a bit too much for Iowa to deal with. Yeah, yeah. LSU's bench play was amazing. Jasmine Carson had a first half for the ages just dropping in three-pointers left and right, and they kind of had about a 10-point uh, lead at the half. And then the second half, LSU completely changes their game. They go to mid-range jumpers. They go to layups. They only hit two three-pointers in their second half as they completely altered their defensive style, gave gave Iowa, uh, just basically gave Iowa a whole new look. And, of course, foul difficulty also plagued the Hawkeyes. Caitlin Clark had four, uh, uh, what was uh, that, that center, um, uh, Monica's, and I'm going to have to get, get her name, uh, get her name off of that, but. She had four fouls. There was a there was a very ticky tack technical foul that also got tossed in there. As the ball as uh, it was in a timeout, Iowa goes into the huddle. The basketball I don't know where it was going, but it was just kind of bouncing in. It hits Caitlin Clark grabs it and she just kind of throws it away from behind her from behind her back, and they assess a technical foul on that. And so that kind of that was kind of an interesting little play, but Iowa did Iowa had a lot of foul problems in this game. Uh, their bigs got in foul trouble; they just couldn't get away uh, get away from that. But give Kim Mulkey a ton of credit for being able to adjust her team. Angel Reese played very well, but again, that bench play, the bench play for the Tigers. I mean, their during points in the first half, their bench play was outscoring. The Iowa starters. It was really amazing to watch, as it was just an excellently coached game for for Kim Mulkey. Yeah, and I want to piggyback uh, on Mulkey the way they fired the three ball in the championship game. Eleven for seventeen and six. 
64% right off the top of my head. It's 64.7 looking at it. So that, that's that's not good. That's great from beyond the arc. And if you can get 33 uh, simply from 11 shots, look at that right there. It's uh, it's impressive. I, I mean, 60%. That You don't see that number often, John, no. uh, in, in a basketball game for the three-match. Just don't. That's, that's impressive. Yes. And also the number of times that LSU visited the foul line versus the, the number of times that Iowa went to the foul line made a whole lot of difference as well, too. Exactly. And, of course, because we mentioned Clark, 30 points, but she hit 9 of 22 shooting. Um, hit seven three-pointers, but it's just that I think toward the end, she was getting a little frustrated, getting very flustered, and kind of forcing her shots a little bit. Um, but, again, she's this player is going to be – I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Iowa is probably going to be the number one ranked team in the preseason 2023-24 poll. South Carolina is losing Aaliyah Boston. She's going to she's going into the NBA draft, and Clark has at least one more season in Ames. So I so it just seems that, or is that uh, or is that Iowa City? No, it's Iowa City. That's where that is. Yeah, I, I I've been to University of Iowa. It's it's long time ago, but I've been there. It's like the most unoriginal place in the in in the in the United States because it's in. I, it's in Iowa City, Iowa, on the banks of the Iowa River. It's you know, I, so anyway, but that's neither here nor there. So I, so I think I, I think Iowa is probably going to be that number one team, uh, but LSU certainly has given the SEC another great team. It used to be Tennessee, now as in South Carolina, and now LSU putting their mark on, on the sport. We'll see how they are able to. Um, do well next season, but uh, like I said, I think I think what the, they need to do is piggyback off Caitlin Clark, and we've been we've been in this position before. Uh, I'm thinking with Cheryl Swoops. I'm thinking with Rebecca Lobo. I'm thinking with the UConn dynasty, where this sport is trying to it, it, it kind of straddles between mainstream and niche. It's kind of, it always kind of blurs the line. Never quite get mainstream, and yet not it yet is completely not a niche sport. And I think they, it would be great for the NCAA if they could finally get it into the mainstream category. A couple things need to happen in order for that to, in order for that to occur. Uh, having the national championship game on ABC that is a step in the right direction. I'm gonna I'm gonna be very curious to see the numbers on on that for the national title. Getting the uh, the, the focus and the exposure that ABC can provide and not just be on ESPN. Sure, ABC is nothing but is nothing more than an offshoot of ESPN, but still, getting that exposure for this is going to be good. I wanted a good game. It was a good game. Iowa was able to get it within single digits in the third quarter, but then LSU kind of romped, for, kind of extended it and romped it. So, we'll, I mean, we've been in this position before. Uh, is women's college basketball to get into the mainstream? It's, but it just, it no matter how hard they try, they just can't make that final leap. Hopefully, this is the one that does it. Yeah, I think it's just the matter. You know, when it comes, it's always been a problem with, um, I think, with women's sports in general, but especially with women's basketball. Because you see, with the WNBA being subsidized by the NBA, I think it's the. Is it the lack of the dunk shot? I don't know if that. I don't know if the dunk shot helps. I I don't know. I I don't know if that helps or not. Um, 
it's certainly a lot it's certainly a lot I would I don't know if I would call it pure um but it it is relies more on fundamentals than what we than 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 college I mean college yes college college has got the dunks college basically call basically basketball is it's either dunks or three pointers I mean the mid-range jumper which we all love has basically been in um being almost a dinosaur and LSU did use the mid-range jumper, but I—I I mean, I can't—I mean, I really don't know how to answer that question about whether or not it's the dunk, whether or not it's the flashy player. I, like I said, I do think the fundamentals are better, um, and usually women's basketball has avoided the one-and-done phenomenon, so you can grow up with a team, you can see a player mature in a system. Uh, the transfer portal hasn't really. It hasn't really affected it as much as it does on the men's side. Um, it's a it's it's a lot like what we think men's basketball was back in the nineties, before the one and done, before uh, everything. At least that's my opinion. I I think uh, the pace of the game uh, is another thing. The NBA or the college basketball game is so fast now. A lot of running. You don't see guys, or I should say, teams in general, running the shot clock down to two, three, four, five, taking the shot. You see shots go up with 15 to 20 seconds left on the shot clock now, a lot more often. I think that's the biggest difference between the men's and the women's game. And people want faster, more high octane offenses and. Uh, I think the men's game provides that at a faster pace than the women's, and I think the publicity of it is another issue and how it's covered, and I think it's starting to change. So uh, I'd like to see this argument re- rehashed in about three to five years uh, with social media coming of age uh, and women's sports coming of age on social media as well. They're having more of a presence. You see in the NCAA tournament, the uh, for, forget their names right off the top of my head, but the, the two twins from Miami. Uh, the Cavendish, Cavender. Yeah, the Cavender twins. Thank you. It, and, and so you're just seeing more women athletes make a name for themselves on social media. So I, I think in, in several, a couple more tournaments, you'll see more games like this, where and more tournaments like this, especially with the eight move to ABC for the championship game, as you mentioned, John. I think it can only help. And that's about my final thought. Sounds good. For, for <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, well, I mean, we will revisit this topic once we get closer to the 2023-24 uh, NCAA season. Hard to believe We're that back. Monday will be the last college game until November. And then it's just college baseball that we get to enjoy. Or pretty much we start the countdown to 2023 college football, but we still have one more game on the college scene, and that will be tomorrow, San Diego State against UConn, the Aztecs and the Huskies, the uh, the, the um, team uh, uh, mid-major against an established program. I kind of wish that, I mean, we came in with two established programs, on one end, and two mid-majors on the other. So we knew we were going to get a mid-major in this championship game. I 
kind of wish that wasn't the case. I kind of wish there would have been one against one and then the other against the other, only because I want to see a team kind of earn it. Um, but, you know, you look at those final games yesterday, San Diego State, their huge comeback against FAU, it was it was very, very good. And, of course, UConn absolutely steamrolled Miami. I mean, it, or, yeah, it, it was not even close. They took all the drama out of it within the first 10 minutes of this game. Miami didn't really get, wasn't really a factor. So now people are going to look at this game tomorrow night and say, okay, it's UConn's to lose. And I, you know, I'm not sure about that. I think San Diego State, they're both, they're both five seed. I think San Diego State's got a shot at it. Um, and I know Coach Hurley at UConn is too good of a coach to, to overlook what the Aztecs did, how they were able to overcome all the adversity and come back against Florida Atlantic. Interesting uh, matchup, interesting tournament, as I mentioned, in both the men's and the women's. And I just want to say it's probably been the most eye-opening tournament in terms of upsets. And you saw Princeton go to the Sweet 16, FAU in the Final Four. And FAU was within a defensive stop away from being in this game that we're talking about right now. UConn's definitely the favorite. Uh, looking at it right now, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, 132.5 on the over-under if you're the betting guy. Look, if you're going to go see a Final Four in a national championship basketball game, this is the one to do it. Tickets as low as $53 right now. Coach Hurley's got his team here by playing uh, good on both sides of the ball and being extremely efficient on the offensive end of the tournament. Scored 83 times in this tournament, won every game by double digits, haven't really even had a close uh, really, uh, there's a, uh, uh, their closest matchup, you look at it, is probably in first or second round. And uh, St. Mary's played them pretty close for a half. Iona's the same thing. And then uh, I guess Arkansas made a little comeback there. They blew Gonzaga out of the water. And you mentioned it. Uh, Miami made a little run in the second half to get it within 10. But that was about as close as they got. So, they pretty much dominated their way through the tournament. They've been a top 10 team throughout, and they do it with uh, spreading you out, moving the, fo moving the football. I'm already looking forward to the fall. Uh, moving the basketball around over 17 assists during the regular season. That was top 10 in the country there. And they're top 40 in offense, scoring right at 80 points a game during the regular season at 78. So, uh, uh, yeah, UConn's definitely the favorite. Uh, I'm kind of pulling for the Aztecs simply because new champion is always fun to watch. And uh, you mentioned it, a five and a four seed, two lower seats. I, I don't uh, remember a five and a four seed meeting in, I don't think that's ever happened, guys. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's, no, it's never happened because this is the first, this is the first final four not to have a one, two or three seed. Yeah, so so it's a, yeah, it's absolutely crazy uh, and um, exciting tournament to say the least. And look, great coaching usually wins this thing. I think Hurley's probably the best coach uh, remaining. Uh, after after he eliminated our, uh, they they took care of Laranaga in Miami. That, that's that's it. So we'll see if the Aztecs can can hang around. They're physical down low. We'll we'll see. It should be a fun uh, fun championship game tomorrow night. 
Yeah, look forward. Leon, what do you think about that about this championship matchup? I like it. Um, when I look at when I look at the Aztecs, you know, I mean, being from um, San Diego, you know, um, this is very huge for the city because you know this has never been done in my lifetime, nor has anybody lifetime for that matter for the Aztecs to um, to the national championship, let alone the final four. But when watching this game, this right here was as close of a blue collar effort that I've seen in a Final Four game. You know, you have the Aztecs who, you know, no one expected them to be there. You know? And if, if you look at their stat line, only two players scored in double figures, the highest being the highest being 21 points. Everybody else kind of chipped away. It was just great defense. Um, the Aztecs were actually down by as much as 14. And it had the game had the makings of a blowout. You know, you it, seen like the it's like it's just that Florida Atlantic just couldn't pull away. And all the way up until they they were up by double figures all the way to about the four all all the way to about four minutes left in the game. The the Aztecs never led. So you know, just seeing that hard nosed defense being applied by the Aztecs getting stopped, they did everything that 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 Miami didn't do against UConn. As far as Miami just couldn't get those stops. And UConn just kept pushing. And this, if the, the Aztecs can somehow apply this same effort of defense and just will and tenacity to the national championship game, we're going to see, you know how, you, you know, you have a movie out there called Hoosiers with Gene Hatton playing the head coach. Right. Well, I think there's going to be a movie called Aztec. <laughs> it, very, very possibly. We, we, we can watch We can witness some history. Yeah. You know, because I don't think the Aztecs have a, a player that's going to go to the NBA on, on their team. Well, if, if you look at it, it's just a, it's just a good, hard-nosed college basketball team that believes in each other. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I was. You, know, you make you make a really, really good point. I mean, they've got two guys six ten on their team. Other than that, they're tallest guy six seven. They don't they don't got. I mean, they got size for college, as I mentioned. But you know, that's a that's a very good point. I, I don't know if they have a guy. Now, I'm not the biggest NBA uh, scout guy. I don't know if they got a draft pick on this team or not. It's a very good, very good point. The last time the Aztecs was as good is when we had Kawhi Leonard. Who we all heard of that guy. But if <laughs> but if, if you look at if you look at the Aztecs, you know, Lamont Butler who hit that game winner, he didn't really do much in the game. Before that he just had seven points. You know, he was what two he was two for five from the field. You know, he, he it was a it was a solid twenty nine minutes he played, but he wasn't much of a of uh, offensive impact on the game. It was just pretty much a, a, a group effort. And, and so, yeah, so you, you look at the Aztec team, you look at the Aztecs, and this is, I stumped Daniel with this last week. Uh, their assist leader, their uh, assist leader, happens to be a guy who uh, is well-known, but not for basketball. That would be Tony Gwynn, who had 590 assists. That's still their all-time assist leader for the Aztecs. And I was watching that game. It was interesting. They get the ball with five seconds remaining. They come down the court, and they do not call a timeout. 
which is both very risky and brilliant. Because not only not only are they it's it's risky because they can't set up a play, but it's brilliant in that it prevented FAU from setting up a defense. And when I saw Lamont Butler, when I saw him take that shot. It looked to me like it was like it was going to drift to the left. That's what I thought of. That's my first thought when I saw when I saw the arc on that shot and the direction it was going. I thought, okay, that thing's that thing is drifting to the left. But instead, he caught it dead center. And uh, they talked to the coach afterwards, and he jokingly said, "Well, I ran out of plays. That's why we didn't call a timeout. I ran out of plays." Um, which I think, which I thought was a very uh, self-deprecating answer. It just goes so much that he trusted his players to do what they needed to do. Uh, again, it again it prevented FAU from from setting up into a defense because they had the lead there. All they needed to do was get a stop. But do whatever they did, the South San Diego State used uh, control chaos. They got it to Butler and he hit that shot again. He was only three of six from for the day, two of two from the line, only nine points for the whole thing. I mean, their leading scorer was Bradley with twenty one. And uh, Lede had twelve off the off the bench, but it was. I just thought it was a great coaching move by San Diego State's coach to basically not coach and trust his players. Yeah, because when Lamont had that when Lamont had that that, that that ball at the last, I thought he was in over his head. I seen him dribble to the sideline. He looked to be dribbling into what seemed to be a black hole of defense, you know, but he found a small crease in the defense and hit that, what were we just saying, that, that, that outdated mid-range, that, that outdated mid-range. Yes. You know, what we think to be a lost arc in the, in, in the sport of basketball period, well, Lamont used that mid-range and made history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be huge. I mean, I think. What the Aztecs have going forward into the national championship is, I mean, UConn has all the momentum. I mean, they have, it, some people may say, have they, have they even been tested yet? Ironically, they, ironically, they yeah. tested in the first round. The Aztecs are playing over the house. I mean, or UConn. Yeah, 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 JJ's right. He, he, I mean, San Diego State, not expected to be here. Um, they're playing, as I believe the term he was using was house money. UConn is an interesting team in that this is the – I mean, they haven't been back here since the days of Jim Calhoun. Uh, they have that pedigree where they know that they're supposed to be here. And as a four seed, they, they kind of say, well, we expect to be here. And here they are writing some absolutely great defense. And, we'll, and uh, it's, I, like I said, I just want a good game tomorrow. I think it will be. Um, but again, JJ, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go. Oh no, I was I was just trying to take you back. I think the pressure's on UConn, Leon. I, I agree with you. I just think they've been playing uh, at an elite level this whole tournament, and San Diego State's kind of playing with house money. And you are right. According to CBSSports.com, there's not a single San Diego State player in the top 54 rankings of the NBA draft. So this team has done it. With guys like Menza, who is from Ghana, who's 6'10", and, and he just gets after it. So uh, this should be an interesting style of game for the national championship. Uh, kind of like the Butler-Duke matchup from several years ago. Uh, you know, mid-major.
major versus, versus the blue blood, and UConn's technically the blue blood in this, uh, this case. So, no, just kind of piggybacking on both of y'all's points, I, I think this will be a uh, underrated matchup, and I, I think it'll still be must-see TV. I mean, it's the national championships. It kind of reminds me of, honestly, guys, in the college football national championship with Georgia and TCU. Let, yes. Well, let's hope it doesn't go the same way. Let's hope that, that, let's hope that the Aztecs have a better show than TCU, though. Yes. <laughs> I, I, thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. They're perfectly said. Yeah, no, but it uh, should, should be fun. But, yeah, no, I, to piggyback on your point again, that there is not a top 50 prospect on this San Diego State team. Yeah, just, just this is this is why people. This is one of the reasons why, in certain cases, you have people that like college basketball over the NBA, because it's the purity of the sport. This is something that in the NBA, in the playoffs, you cannot make it far in the NBA playoffs without a superstar. It's just not. I think the last team to ever win an NBA Finals without a legit legit superstar was the Detroit Pistons, the 2004 ones who beat the, um, the Los Angeles Lakers when we had Carl Malone and Gary Payton. Agreed. Uh, other than that, shoot, in the NBA, you need at least two or three superstars on your team to win. Mm-hmm. But within the college, within college basketball, you just need you just need five guys, maybe seven, who have a made-up mind to just Go forward. And this right here is a strong example of what we've seen with the Aztecs. I mean, we've seen this with teams. We can bring up Butler again. You know, these are just guys who just had their minds made up. And, so, you know, that, that's, that's my take on that. Yeah, like I said, Butler was a good team back then. People forget that. Butler was a really good team. They, they deserved that shot. Against Duke in the national title game, they deserved it. They, they deserved it. They were a they were a very good team, and uh, I think yeah, I think you, you overlooked San Diego State at your at your at your risk peril. Absolutely. All right. Let's see what we got here. Again, I'm John Morgan with Daniel. With, I'm sorry, Daniel Bolton is not with us today. He'll be with. Not sure if he'll be with us next week. We will sure he'll be here in two weeks as he. Right now is doing the cruise thing. JJ Georgievich is graciously stepping in for him as we continue here with the last three guys to do a podcast. Uh, we're gonna keep. We're gonna take it a probably cut it a little short today. Maybe go not go the full hour. Probably go about another, probably go about another fifteen minutes before calling it a show. And then uh, again, we're doing the live to tape of on Zoom. So again, we are progressing incrementally as we improve both of our both our features and our broadcast quality because we always want to give you that best quality in terms of both of our opinions and our broadcast uh, appearances here. So we are, again, we're going to be debuting some new stuff. We're going to be eventually hoping to uh, get up through live shows, live to tape shows on YouTube and um, on that. But until then, again, uh, you can catch this show and, and every other uh, rebroadcast on Spotify iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, opening day has been basically with all, with all the stuff of college ba- of college basketball. Opening day for Major League Baseball has basically been overshadowed. 
Uh, the Braves are, of course, if you're in Atlanta, not helping the fact is Atlanta is on the road. They are at Washington uh, for this opening day, opening day series. Philadelphia and Texas are about ready to uh, start things off on ESPN on their Sunday night baseball. So we got a new schedule. We've got new bases. We've got pitch counts. Uh, we've got all these things that Major League Baseball is trying to do to bring the game into the 21st century, uh, especially now with the new schedule where every team will play every other team. Uh, it won't just be one, one division against another division. So basically, the American and National League game, the American and National Leagues are pretty much not necessary. They're pretty much relics of a bygone era where uh, basically with breaches and... You know the pitchers batting that's gone. It's all it's all evolution. But again, this has been this has been pretty much a very low key opening day weekend. Again, as I said earlier, I think part of it is the Braves again in Washington to start things off. College basketball has been incredibly compelling. Both the men's and women's are about as compelling as they've been in in years. And it's not just on one side; it's both sides. So I think that's part of it. Of course, here in Atlanta, we're all about the NFL. We're all about football. The draft is coming up. Kelly Campbell was uh, signed for the Falcons to, to uh, help them out on the defensive end. Uh, Jalen Carter is now looking at uh, being, falling to Atlanta in eight on several mocks. So, again, even though this is opening day, this is Major League Baseball, it just seems to me that it's been very muted. And that's just the way I, I feel. I mean, you guys may have different opinions. I hope you have different opinions about what, about what it seems like for baseball this season. Well, if you're thrown to the floor, I, I've loved opening day. I, I'm, a, I'm a big baseball guy. I, I know we're not doing video now, but I got my Braves gear on. I'm a happy Braves fan, two and one. On the season, obviously taking two or three from your uh, division rival is always a good thing. Uh, cool things, you mentioned the rules. This is also the debut of the updated schedules in Major League Baseball where every team will play everybody in Major League Baseball. So uh, every, 30, every 30 teams will play each other at least once. Whether it's on the road or at home, it doesn't matter, which is awesome. So you'll be able to see teams you've never seen before in your city, which is awesome. And obviously, I think the pitch clock was uh, one of the reasons why I was watching so much to see how that affected the game. Seems like there was like seven or eight on the first day uh, called pitching violations, called strikes, or called balls, excuse me, vice versa. And uh, it's been very interesting. It's been a great opening day. Some of the games have gotten a lot shorter. You look at the Braves game today, and you look at the box score on it, the game was just under three hours. So it's it's looking like the the time of a game is genuinely going down. And that, if the rules are working, I'll be optimistic about it, and if it gets more fans involved in baseball, I'll be happy. That's my opening thoughts on opening day, and I think it was an overall success, but I do have to tend to agree with you. Unless you're a diehard baseball fan like yourself, it has kind of taken the back burner to Caitlin Clark, the Final Four, 
and NFL free agency talk that has been going on right around Atlanta. So, John, you have a point there as well. Yeah, I think I thought I saw the uh, a stat where opening day this year, as opposed to opening day last year, it was I want to say twenty six minutes. Um, I don't think it was, actually that's that's the number that's sticking in my head, but I do know that last year the average time was over three hours, and this year it's under three hours. I I do know that. And that do, and I think that does help. I think that that does help with the issue. I mean, they, they want the fans in the seats, they want the eyeballs on the screens, and there's been a lot of things that have been going on that have been impacting uh, the regional sport network. Valley Sinclair, their impending bankruptcy. We don't know how that's going to happen. What's what impact that's going to have? Because these regional networks right now, they are the lifeblood. Of some of these, um, basically, I, how do I want to phrase this? Um, there's, uh, let's, how do we want to phrase it? Most baseball teams, in fact, I would say all of them, have gone to a regional sports network, like a balance. Of course, there are differences. The Mets, the Yankees are on, yes. Uh, the Cubs started their own marquee. And there's maybe a few others, but most of them, like you're talking the Braves, you're talking the Reds, they are they are on Bally, on the Sinclair, and that bankruptcy might mean that some bills aren't going to get paid, and they may be going off the air. So it's it's just a it's just a very weird time for this. Yeah, whenever whenever you have a sport. That regular season consists of 160 games plus. Unfortunately, its opening day will take the back seat of even collegiate sports because if you if, if you contrast this with football, which the regular season is 18 games, which used to be 16. Well, now it's 17. Only, 17 now, excuse me about that. So, yeah, 17. The preseason is even relevant because it's, it's, it's the rarity of it. You know, we, we all know that we're not going to see that many games of football, so every game counts. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, even basketball, you know, the opening day for basketball is just not that big of a deal because there's 82 games in the season. Right. You know, basketball starts heating up. For the NBA concern, around after the All Star break, I would say Christmas. That's Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's usually where the NBA considers their jumping off point. That that traditional quintuple header on Christmas Day. And before right. we get any further, I think uh, JJ has to leave, so I'm going to give him. I'm just going to give him the mic and the floor just to make his final comments, and then and then he has to jet out, and then Leon and I will talk for a couple more minutes, and then we'll call the show. Well, guys, I just want to say thanks for having me on your platform. Uh, you can find me at JJ Get You One on Twitter and at ATL Prime Sports as well. I want to say thanks again for having me. And my final thought of the night is, uh, you know, this Braves team from top to bottom is really, really stacked. Even down into AAA, you have guys like Brandon Shoemake and Vaughn Grissom and, you know, he, he, uh, Lovelo, Lutlow, and he, 
you've got a lot of talent at AAA all the way up one to 40 man roster, this team's going to be expected to go deep. And deep is what everybody's expecting. A World Series run or bust would be uh, a a great term to use in this instance. This is a team that you expect if can stay healthy. Again, from top to bottom, might have the best roster in baseball. And I want to say thanks again, guys, for having me. All right. Thanks, JJ. Again, that's JJ Jurjevich, uh stepping sitting in for Daniel today. As Daniel enjoys a well-deserved vacation, so it's just going to be Leon and I uh, for a little bit. So, Leon, uh, again, we were talking about talking about you know baseball and uh, what the NBA is doing in terms of trying to get trying to uh, kind of keep the public's attention, uh, and that's really what's going on right now. It's really they see they're trying to innovate, trying to. Uh, do all these new things in order to keep the public paying attention, but there's only so much attention to go around. So really the NBA says, okay, we're going to start up on Christmas day. We're going to, yes, we have that two months or six weeks, yeah, two months, probably a little more than two months, the October, the November. Uh, but, but, but because college, college football is it, it, what it really is, Leon. And, and I, I apologize for kind of rambling here, but what it really is, is other sports are inroading on each other's territories. It used to be, okay, Sunday is NFL, Saturday's college football, Friday's high school football, Monday through Thursday is going to be, and we'll put put good games for the NBA on Tuesday, we'll put good games on Thursday. When we get to college, when we get to college, we'll still have that, but we'll put the NBA on Wednesday. We got Big Monday for college basketball. Now all those distinctions are gone, and it started when ESPN put started putting mid majors on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in October and November. That impinged on the NBA. Now you got college foot uh, the NFL with Saturday games. Now Thursday games, especially what we saw last time over Christmas. Uh, it's it, that's just kind of the way. That's just kind of the way it is. Everyone. Is imp- is going in on everybody else's turf, and what we've seen here is that you could schedule an NFL football game at midnight on a Wednesday morning, and it will get great ratings. <laughs> That's what we've seen. It doesn't matter where you put an NFL game; it will draw strong. College football will probably be a little behind, and then and then you're going to have the NBA, college basketball, NHL. Uh, now we're going into Major League Baseball again. Major, Major League Baseball is a different story because they have the summer to. They thought they had the summer to itself. Now you got the USFL sneaking in. You got the WNBA siphoning off people. You got the the NBA and the NHL playoffs. And again, okay, so you get those in, and then it's just July, August, September, and now NFL saying, well, we're going to have some good preseason games. So you know, it's no one sport has a monopoly on time. And now that's why we have all this, I would say, I would call innovation. I would say all of that. Um, trying to differentiate themselves, trying to stand out from the pack. Right. And then you have other NFL leagues, I mean, other professional football leagues trying to come in and Take some of that, take some of that attention away from these other sports, you know, with, with the XFL. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how long of a run that's going to have. But they're hoping to 
captivate the audience, the, 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 the world audience, but at least the United States audience as much as the NFL does. And that's going to take, and if XFL has its way, that's, that, that will continue to take food away from other sports, you know, who kind of struggled in the regular season. I don't think basketball has a problem with, with, with the regular season games. People generally watch like like to watch basketball, especially after, like you said, after Christmas. Right. Um. But with the with with, with the major leagues, and I I kind of liken it to the monetary system. The NFL is like a hundred dollar bills. The hundred dollar bills is valuable because it's not that many circulation. Yeah. Well, the NFL is valuable because it's not that many games circulation. Versus. The major leagues is like, you know, there's a lot of $5 bills. And I'm not saying that the, that the major leagues is, is any cheaper than NFL. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's just the games are more in abundance than the NFLs or to a certain degree, even the NBAs. Mm-hmm. And now the, the, NFL, the, the major leagues with their, um, they're making sure that there's a, that, that every team gets, a, gets an even crack at one another. I think that, I think that's good, but at the end of the day, there's still 160 games being played. The public feel they're not missing out on anything. Right. If right. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it, make, it makes perfect sense. Uh, so again, we are uh, I believe the NBA regular season wraps up in a week, a week from today, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. Looks like the Hawks again; they're going to be in the play-in tournament. Because they cannot escape the 500 record, uh, they are the epitome of mediocrity. I, uh, mediocre means average, and they are about as average as you can get. And I don't, I really don't know if they have another run in them for this season. To uh, if they get out of the play-in tournament, I don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna be able to affect things like they did two years ago when they made when they made that magical run. And Leon, your Lakers, I guess they are also in the uh, ticketed for the playing tournament. Yeah, um, the Lakers are, are surging, kind of at the right time. Right, right, right now we're eighth. Um, we're right behind the Pelicans. It looks like we're yeah, we're definitely. Um, I, I don't think we're going to be able to overtake the Clippers, um, even though we're just about two and a half games in batting Clippers. But it's only like what a couple games left in the season. Um, yeah, we're we'll we'll definitely be playing the tournament. I the Lakers we're we're a funny bunch. We're a funny bunch because we could beat anybody, but at the same time, anybody can also beat us on any given day. You know, I don't want to use the M word that. You use towards the Hawks, even though our records are almost pretty much identical as the Hawks, except for um, they're flipped. They're flipped. The Hawks are thirty-eight and thirty-nine. The Lakers are thirty-nine and thirty-eight. They're flipped. Right. So we could easily be put in that category as well, too, as far as the way this year's went for us. But the good thing—the good thing about that eight seed, though. Is that if you win against New Orleans, you're automatically the seventh seed. You don't have to worry about going back and playing that extra game. In this case, it would be Minnesota and OK and Oklahoma City. But there, there's just so much volatility right right now 
I mean, those four teams separated by just by so few that it's just going to be, it's a matter of one game or the other that could, uh, that could, that could change things. And Dallas right now, they're on the outside looking in They're uh, They're a game out of that 10th spot. And as you said, the Clippers, well, they're a half game out of the six. New Orleans might take a, might still might. And then Golden State's still hanging around over there. Ten and a half. So, a, I mean, a lot. And I mean an absolute lot can happen over this week. It's going to be an absolute joy to watch all these games and see exactly where these teams are, go, are going to uh, slot themselves. Uh, let's see if I can bring up the schedule for the last week of the regular season. Okay, here we go. Uh, well, the Lakers are playing right now, and you're lucky because they're playing Houston, the worst team in the league. And right now they got an eight, they got an eight point lead. Oklahoma City is playing Phoenix, um, and I let's see, I don't see results. Dallas is playing Atlanta, and the Hawks have got a four point lead. Uh, let's see what else is going on here. Golden State's at Denver, so you got the Lakers. Let me go. Let me swing down here because I think I saw their schedule. Toward the toward the rest of the regular season. Okay, they got a game with the Clips. Um, technically, they're the road team, but again, it's in their home facility. Uh, they also they also host Phoenix. That'll be on Friday, and they'll wrap it up home with Utah. So the Clippers, Phoenix, and Utah for your final three games. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those those games all count. Yes. About the mid. And so, um, like I said, as far as within the Western Conference, there's no clear cut favorite. With um, I think no, no one's scared of any team, may, with the exception of the Phoenix Suns, because Megatron has a turn on me talking about Kevin Durant. Yeah. That's a problem for everybody. Other than that, um, the Sacramento Kings. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Denver Nuggets have not historically submitted themselves as far as teams that are known for having playoff for having real good playoff success in recent memory. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that does not concern me about the um, Sacramento Kings versus the Phoenix Suns. They have um, great playoff experience, as we know. Um, the Golden State Warriors are missing Andrew Wiggins, which can be um, a major hindrance in their long-term playoff success. The Clippers, um, they're, they're a question mark too. Can Kawhi Leonard and Paul George somehow put something together with Russell Westbrook? You know, we don't know. You know, the, the Clippers have a, you know, they now granted they did move to the Western Conference Finals for the first time ever a couple of years ago without Kawhi Leonard. So with both their superstars being healthy for the first time in a long time, we'll see where that goes. And with the Denver Nuggets, you know, how you know we, we, how far can Jokic take this team? Um, what's going? What, what's the status of, of Jamal Murray? Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's a, it's a lot of question marks in the Western Conference. Um, you know we haven't did we haven't done much discussion about the Eastern Conference, but you know it's the same it's a usual suspect in the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee, Boston, and the 76ers. I like that. 
I like traditional powerhouses. I mean, I like, because there is parody there with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and a big part of that parody is Donovan Mitchell. But everybody else, the Brooklyn Nets, we pretty much. I'm, I'm glad that that they somehow managed to hold serve, mm-hmm. even with the subtraction of, the, of of their big superstar. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be all about Milwaukee, Boston, and the 76ers. Can the Philadelphia 76ers make that leap with James Harden and Joel Embiid? Right. You know, that, that is a huge concern. You know, um, we already know what, what, what Milwaukee brings to the table, especially when healthy. You know, that is a potential champ. They, they, they're going to be in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's all about who they're going to be playing against. Right. Right. You know, I don't think that Boston will beat Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals this year if, um, if, if, um, what's the jump? What's the gentleman's name? Who's the, um, who, who's the second best player on the Milwaukee Bucks? But if, if he's healthy, I don't think the Bucks will be able to be stopped. Right. Okay, well, again, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if the Hawks can uh, make a make a stand. They need to get in that seven eight. They need to get in that, seven, and I think they're one or two uh, wins away from getting in there. We'll see how they, but they, they wrap up with Boston. I think that's going to be a tough tough matchup for them. So they got to beat Dallas tonight, further sink the Mavericks' hopes of getting in, and need to maybe get that other midweek game in before going into that playoff. And, of course, we will see what the playoff schedule looks like uh, next week when we when we converse. i um, not sure if Daniel's going to be with us or not. I think he's getting back Saturday, so he may not be with us for the last few guys to a podcast taping. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but Leon will be here, and I'll be here, and we'll talk whatever, and we'll talk everything that's going on. We might open things up and hopefully, uh, as I said, keep moving on our progress in our broadcast quality and our broadcast experience. So hopefully that'll be, that will be good. Again, I want to thank JJ Jurjevich for sitting in for Daniel. And again, you can catch us on, on iTunes, Spotify, Apple podcasts, whatever you get your favorite podcast, mash that like button, uh, be a subscriber. And we appreciate all of your support. I'm John Morgan. Thank you for joining us. And this has been the last three guys to do a podcast. We'll see you next week and have a good week.